You're listening to Grindhouse Courthouse. We put movies on trial to determine whether or not a film has committed too many movie misdemeanors to be considered viewable. Please rise for the Honorable Judge this episode. Welcome to the podcast with no name, where a movie is put on trial. Your host and judge for this week is me, Dave, and I'm joined by my fellow juror, Adam. On trial this week is the 1990 film Hard to Kill, starring Steven Seagal and Kelly LeBrock, his ex-wife. With a budget of $11.5 million and a domestic box office of $59 million, the film was a good success, but had very mixed critical reviews. Arguing that the film is indeed hard to kill, we have Tom serving as the public defender, and Dylan, who clearly isn't being paid by Seagal's best friend, President of Russia, Putin, serving as a prosecutor. We begin with the opening statement of the defense. Tom, proceed. Your Honor, this movie is fantastic. Not because it is a good film, because it is a terrible film. This movie is, in fact, so bad that it is good. Now, that's something that gets said about a lot of films, but this one is special. And a lot of it has to do purely with the film star Steven Seagal. He is... A bad actor, his choreography is sloppy, he can't emote, and this movie is the product of ego. Knowing what we know about Steven Seagal now makes this film infinitely more interesting than if it was just some guy. We will never see a movie of this like ever again, especially because Steven Seagal is old and fat. And, now nah, just leave it there. <laughs> And from the opening statements from prosecution, Dylan? Your Honor, I motion for a mistrial. The defense has fucked me. How am I supposed to argue against him saying that it is shitty? I'm also saying that it's shitty. <laughs> you must prove that it's shitty in a shitty fashion and not a shitty good fashion. Okay, this movie, which is a little bit generous to call it a movie, this movie's about two things. One... Steven Seagal trying to convince everyone that he is A, not 40 already, and B, definitely Asian of some kind. It also has a really weird relationship with sex, which, which kind of just permeates the movie, both in terms of the weird sex music that breaks every single scene, also in terms of the relationship with Steven Seagal and all women. So in, in these kind of directions, this movie is shitty. And I'm going to just tear apart the defense's argument that we can take joy in it because it's just too creepy. Uh, and that's my opening statement. Defense, we heard you have an opening uh, scene you want to start with? I would like to start with the opening scene for my first piece of evidence. <laughs> now, to set the stage, the movie opens and there's no preamble, there's no introductions. Uh, there's just sort of like a shitty doc set and Steven Seagal is there running around with a camcorder and a tape recorder. And it's very clear that this movie is set in the past because it's bulky. It looks absolutely ridiculous. It's, it's amazing. A lot of poor choices. So he's doing his uh, Steven Seagal stealth runs around the dock. I don't know if you've ever seen Steven Seagal run before, but it is the funniest thing you have ever seen because he's not actually coordinated his arms like fly all over the place and he kind of stumbles and he's like wincing and grimacing the entire time objection uh, objection oh, i should add he would look more normal if his arms just flailed all around they just stay directly down at his sides 
and his limp wrists just kind of bop around as he moves. It's point of clarification. And it is the it is the most entertaining run I have ever seen committed to film. I mean, we've seen like Tom Cruise run, and that's a thing. Steven Seagal running is next level bullshit. He can't do it. It's incredible. Just like he can't do a lot of things, but we'll we'll get into that. So he's flailing around the dock, and he's uh, talking to himself about the things that he sees on the dock. And and this is where you start to realize like he's not he's not an actor at all because his lines come out as every single piece of dialogue that isn't him yelling to show how tough he is and we'll get to that later is just him mumbling through it and you'd think could you make an entire movie where the lead actor can't deliver any lines and most people would say no i don't want to watch that but these guys said yes full steam ahead that's what we need to see and it is fucking amazing it is absolutely incredible. So he gets the evidence of a guy saying he wants to kill another guy. And that sort of sets off the entire plot of the movie. Um, nothing in this movie is complex. Everything is very simple and straightforward. Partially, and I learned this just today, Steven Seagal was actually involved in the writing process for this Jesus film. Christ, of course he was. Of fucking <laughs> course he was. Absolutely. I mean, and it, and it shows because... Uh, Every character that talks about Mason Storm, and that's his character's name. Wait, isn't that a porn star actress's name? Mason Storm? Daniel? Stormy Daniels? No, Mason Storm's also Mason a porn Storm? star. She's like a Mexican porn star. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me. Google it. She was inspired. Uh, 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 if it would please the court, I will not look up porn in the middle of this session. Thank you very much. We're not supposed to look up porn I don't know what my esteemed this? opponent is thinking. No, this is a court of law. Thank you, sir. I should highlight that Tom has never provided um, his camera, has never turned on his camera, so we have no clue what he's been doing during most of these sessions. So Always I is. will film these naked, but I will not look up porn while I do it. That is the line. Thank you, sir. All right. So he's fucking around on the dock, and he films some guys, and then they're like, oh, we better kill him. I mean, there's some phone calls and other stuff that got thrown in there, but none of it matters because it's all just an excuse for Steven Seagal to uh, have his family murdered, brutally murdered, not just regularly murdered, but brutally murdered. So a bunch of crooked cops show up and they uh, shotgun his family. And that's that's essentially just the, the beginning bits. And you would think, OK, very straightforward. You know, this is going to be a revenge film. Uh, he's going to be really powerless to, uh, you know, stop his family from getting shotgunned. But Steven Seagal knows that he has to appear like a tough guy. He knows that this movie is all about image projection for him. So not only uh, does he seriously wound and kill a bunch of the attacking officers, but he does it in the most ridiculous, inhumane, unbelievable ways possible. And I know that my opponent will say, oh, this is so ridiculous. Oh, this is unbelievable. This has no place in a feature film. And I agree completely. But what I will disagree about Your is Honor, that the spectacle Your itself Honor, he is effectively neutering seen. me. I can't argue against this. I almost feel like he's backing himself into the corner about how shitty this movie is. Yeah, like, he's doing no my job for me. You need some redeeming qualities Your Honor, here. The redeeming quality is the shittiness. That is what makes this movie special. The dumber it gets the more enjoyment you will derive from seeing this film. And believe me, it gets dumb right out of the game. All right, all right. Get us to Again, the end of this scene. You, that is the end of the scene. He gets shotgun. Well, he gets shot. And then he goes yeah. in. He, he gets shotgun. 
I would also like to add, it's a little weird how he gets shotgunned, right? I mean, I think that we could at least agree on that because he gets shot uh, in the torso, immediately screams, you motherfucker, sprints across the room to the guy holding the shotgun who still has it, manages to disarm the shotgun guy. And he's a good like 10 feet away. There's no way he crossed the, the gap that quickly before he could shoot him again. Disarms him, breaks his wrist, pushes him to the ground. And then another guy shoots his wife. The kid escapes and that's shows up later but well, like who gives a shit about his kid the implication is the so, child none has of been that murdered. matters so his wife and child have been murdered and he is shot and wounded that's the scene he's injured bad okay he's he he, he dies on the uh operating table so, mm-hmm. oh, okay but then so, he comes oh, back oh, to oh, life the jury would like it to all blends together ask, uh, ask a question can the jury ask a question yeah jury yes, can ask jury's questions. always allowed thank you so for tom for this opening scene do we have any type of emotional connection with Steven Seagal? We've just watched his family get murdered, but is there any type of emotions that drive through you during this? Why would you be watching this movie for emotions? It's Steven Seagal. He doesn't have emotions. He just has, oh, we're going to take you to the bank. That's that's what he has. Uh, he Later on in the movie, when he needs to emote that, like, hey, he recognizes a guy who killed his wife. You know, like, okay, this has been driving your entire character throughout the film. How would you react? And Steven Seagal said, I know exactly what to do. And the line, as he delivers it, is, I remember you. So they perfect. It in. That was the best take they could get out of him. If you're looking for emotions in this film, you are looking for the wrong thing. I guess I, that is not what it's about. Yes, I'm, I guess I'm trying to narrow down who this movie would appeal to in order to make it good, because right now, it, it sounds very simple. If I if I wanted to watch Inception on the weekend, I definitely should not pick this one instead if I wanted a heavy thinker movie. It, he can't decide who the character is. Like, is he an Asian martial arts guy or like Joe Schmo, family man? He's both somehow, which makes it even fucking weirder. He's like, oh, hey there, Billy. You want to toss the ball around or practice Aikido in the dojos of, of Osaka? It does both at the same time, so it makes absolutely no sense. So he's a very conflicted man. And his wife is creepily sexual with him the second he comes home. By the way, he comes home covered in fucking blood, and his wife and child are just like, Hey, Dad, how's it going? And then his wife, like, immediately, like, starts basically, like, giving him a hand job in front of their kid. It's so fucked up how this movie deals with sex that you just start to lose your mind eventually. And that's the emotion you're supposed to get from it. <laughs> Confusion. Creepy okay. sex. You'll feel a lot of emotions when watching it, but none of it will actually be... Oh my god, the juror has left the room vomiting from the disgust <laughs> for this film. I, I don't blame him. Every time. I don't. Every time. I'm back. Go ahead. So let's right. get into the rebuttal the, by Dylan. You will feel... Yeah, I get a rebuttal, you bitches. I haven't finished making my points yet, but out of the goodness of my heart, I will allow the court. I'm not sure if Dylan's just going to carry on your defense or if he's actually going to try to rebuttal that. I don't know. It seems like it's all been pretty negative. The the jury would actually like Tom to summarize his point right now in one sentence. This movie is so bad, it's good. Based on... This is a movie where they thought they were doing one thing. And the final product came out as something else. And that is fucking magical. It is the perfect storm of ego and 
bad decisions. Yeah, but fifty six million wasn't wasn't all these ironic hipsters going to that movie. Oh, no doubt. When this movie came out, the people that actively went to go see it, I'm sure, are like brain dead morons. All right, I, I have I have no let's, doubt. Let's get to the mind. rebuttal. Can I, can I describe this opening scene? I'm gonna I'm gonna cruise through this scene pretty quickly because I got to talk about what the fuck happens after this. Okay, so he's like a cop or a journalist, kind of both. I don't get what he is, but he exactly like Tom says, he shows up at this dock. He's recording these dudes from 80, 100 feet away with this like piece of shit microphone and camera, and it is crystal clear audio. So that makes no sense. Anyway, so yeah, so everything that happens and he describes is true. Remember though about the weird sexual thing with his wife, because women want to fuck this guy bad and all times. So he gets shot. All that shit happens. But what happens next in the hospital has got to be the weirdest thing. So he gets shot by these cops and he's in the hospital. He's in a coma. In fact, he's in a coma for seven years. Not only have these these cops, these dirty cops killed his wife. You think he's they've killed his son. They almost killed him. But they they glued pubes all over this man's face. It's covering his face. And add to that, his nurse is raping him, Uma Thurman style, on the reg. Like, the first scene with this so-called love interest is her sexually assaulting this man in a full-on coma. Making lewd jokes about pussy, um, looking at his penis and being like, hmm, I wish I could get on that right now. It's fucked. She calls him her boyfriend. Like, this movie has a sick relationship with sex. So that's my rebuttal. Is that Steven Seagal's fantasy, you think? I mean, for sure. <laughs> oh, this this movie is 100% Steven Seagal's fantasy because uh, he, every single character that talks about him talks about him like he's uh, the greatest man who's ever lived. Nobody has anything bad to say about him ever for any reason. And all the women he encounters want to sleep with him. And in like the most weird, disgusting, inappropriate ways, as my esteemed opponent has pointed out, and it is fucking fascinating <laughs> it is riveting what we need to include here, i couldn't look away what we need to include here is the fucking guitar riff that plays between every scene because it sounds like the steamiest grossest smelling like sex scene you've ever seen between every single scene it's disgusting so tom figure out a way to put that in here dylan do you want us to guess to the second scene you have prepared yeah. or do you want to yeah, sure. We'll, we'll get ourselves to the second scene. So I kind of already covered... Objection. What? We haven't finished talking about how much she just looks at his penis and talks about it in the room with all the other coma patients and nurses. How is that a positive She's at you? her job. She's at her fucking job. That's absolutely a positive. You need to see the way this is shot and acted. No one at any point winks at the camera. They all play it super seriously. Steven Seagal's out there wincing with his fucking ponytail going, oh, I'm going to take you to the bank, Senator. No one said like no one thought to say we need to we need to fix this. We can't release this movie to the public. They said, yeah, stop drilling your head oil. Next scene. And that's amazing. Next scene is it's really special. I'm going to do a. It's kind of a mini scene. It's like a shorter scene. So it's after they've this him and his rapist have escaped um, the hospital and they're at like somebody's house, like her friend's house or something. Uh, and this they have a single line of dialogue to explain yeah. that, which is my doctor friend lives here and he's in mainland China. Why is the nurse they never really escaping with him? Is she guilt over the rape? Oh god. 
It's the only explanation. Rape guilt. She has sacrificed her entire life for this guy. Also, it should be noted that she does this full knowledge that this man has been accused of like being a drug pin and murdering his family because they pinned the murders on him. So and she's still on board still. because his penis game is that strong. Yeah. And it's so fascinating that they thought that would be an acceptable reason to motivate these characters to be together. Yep, that's it. That's the only motivation. So so they go to this doctor's house and this is where the weird ass part of Seagal trying to convince us that he either is Asian or just is super cultured in Asian, very steeped in Asian culture. So the first thing he does is she has to feed him because he's like so fucked up. His muscles have like totally atrophied from being in a coma for seven years. Uh, I'd like to talk about that for a brief second. <laughs> yeah, let, I was going to talk about it. Yeah, let, let him <laughs> continue. No, okay, okay. okay. If, if you don't get let exactly where finish. you're going, I'm going to fucking flip. But <laughs> I probably I, Silence I might... in the court. Okay, so... She has to feed him. <laughs> this dude is fucking bit like like almost a paraplegic. Like he can still move, but his muscles are so fucked he can't even feed himself. So like what I'll ask the just the jury. If you had to feed somebody something, what would you feed them and how would you do it? If it was just anything, you just had to feed this person, what, what would you choose? Adam? It's probably going to be grapes in the sexiest manner. <laughs> that would be better. She feeds him fucking <laughs> rice with chopsticks and she doesn't know how to use chopsticks <laughs> so he has to take the chopsticks from her <laughs> to show the fucking movie and the audience that he knows how to use chopsticks to eat rice but okay it's it's deeper than that what? and that's what's really fascinating because it's not just like oh i need to show everybody that i know everything there is to know about asian culture because it's not just japanese and it's not just chinese like it's this weird blend of whatever yeah it is about him showing that he is so tough even after seven years of being in a coma that he can do it himself he's so strong he doesn't need anybody how did he fucking escape from the hospital after being in a coma for seven years because he's like pulling himself towards things and like rolling around and shit and he's got the broom and he's pushing buttons the the hospital escape scene is fucking magical i might add oh, it is God. it is very precious yeah if we had time and all of a sudden when he gets into the house then he loses the ability to just like feed himself he can he can prepare to like jab people in the face with a broom effectively and push buttons and and do whatever but as soon as he's got like fine motor movements that's when the wheels fall off it doesn't make any sense, just like everything else in this movie. Does he and watching does them he fight someone on the way out, escaping the hospital? Like he kills, he, he kills many people. So uh, okay. I, the jury has a question about that, actually. So when he's leaving, this is seven years after the incident of him getting shot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't other criminals or people that were against him, bad bad cops, wouldn't they have just come the night after? He was put into a coma and murder him. Why? Why? That's wait, a good fucking question. Why, why wait seven years? Yeah, Tom? there is there is a scene where they have this sort of weird convoluted like, OK, he's actually alive. So we just need to keep him anonymous. And if he ever wakes up, phone me at this number. And then like seven years go by. And there's this whole subplot about this extra character called O'Malley and how he tried to keep it a secret and get to the truth and whatever. And none of it matters because this movie is just about Steven Seagal punching and kicking people. Oh no. It's even, it's impunity. even more convoluted than that. Okay. 
So the guy who told him to call if he ever woke up was his friend, the one good cop. He's been like sidelined or whatever. And this other cop is just taking all of his phone calls or something. So he finds out that the cop woke up, even though the phone call is not for him. So like that was pretty lucky unless you've been literally listening into every phone call that this guy has had for the last seven years. And then he sends the people to go kill Steven Seagal. So after the seven years. The other thing. Okay. The other thing that's really important to note there is that at this point, it's been seven years. They have no reason to suspect that Mason Storm is alive anymore because they heard him pronounced dead on the operating table. Sorry, I, I just have... The cop who took the phone call clued into the fact that it was Mason Storm so fucking quickly. Right, exactly. It's unbelievable. And he'd been listening to this other cop's... It wasn't his phone call. So he was just listening to all of this cop's phone call for no fucking reason. Amazing. For seven years. For Truly seven a competent filmmaker. Um, I think I might have millions of phone calls. I may have missed Adam? this. Yeah, I may have missed this. But what what's the motive for killing Steven Seagal? Because he recorded that shit at the docks. Oh, okay. and they couldn't find the... the the tape recorded shit because he hid it in the wall. Okay. Which is also very poorly explained. He just like jams it up in the wall and then like nobody notices. Yeah. Your Honor, I'd like to get back to the dumbass Asian <laughs> yeah. shit happening back at the doctor's house. <laughs> So we had the the fucking rice bowl incident. Next next episode where Steven Seagal comes across as the most condescending motherfucker. He gives the woman a grocery list to go get fucking groceries. And he writes it on a scroll in Mandarin. I shit you not. He writes a grocery list on a scroll in Mandarin, gives it to this woman and goes, ah, just take it down to Nakamura's. They'll know what this is. <laughs> Fucking loser. Oh, it's even dumber than that because he goes like, you ever been to Chinatown before? <laughs> yeah, I think I've been to Chinatown. Take this list. It's a, it's a list of seven secret herbs and spices that I need. And then he like gets acupuncture needles and attaches herbs to the needles and then lights them on fire so that the smoke travels up into his face. And that's how he heals. There's also a great really extended training montage where he's like running up hills, but like shittily because he does the limp wristed run. It's it's great. You, you need to see do, it for yourself we get a, for it to be believed. Can we get some kind of backstory of Steven Seagal's character to note like that he is Asian descent and, or he has no. visited China and he has a mentor that's trained him? Do we get any of that? Or is this just a man that's so fascinated with the culture that he's taken upon himself 100%? I had to look up. Nothing if, in this movie is explained. I had to look up if Steven Seagal was just Asian because I'm like, he's not fucking Asian. But they they just lean so hard into his Asianness, like with no explanation that for a second I was like. Well, maybe he's like kind of Asian and I'm just not seeing it. Nope, he's not Asian. He was born in Michigan. <laughs> and it's he underplayed the acupuncture part. He he pulls out the fucking Chinese scriptures. Again, he's like reading China, like ancient Chinese books and he just starts acupuncturing himself. And then he like sticks the mung dung shit on the end of the acupuncture needle and lights them all. So then he's sitting there Buddha style with like flaming acupuncture needles to heal his muscles that have atrophied for seven years. And does it work? Initially, it takes a long time because this is in the montage. Also, another thing you think he would look normal doing, punching. Nope. He looks weird punching. Steven Seagal, martial art. Like and he's a real martial artist. Like he's not one of the fake ones like um, Jean-Claude Van Damme. He looks fucking weird punching this board. It's like, 
like I can't I can't even describe what I'm doing right now, but it's like you will have to describe it because this is a podcast. Yes, his fists are upside down, and it's like using the weakest part of the arm to punch is like the best way I can describe it. The the movie does go out of its way to show how powerful his punching style actually is when he knocks that board right out of the ground that he drove in like six feet. Oh yeah, single punch. Everything about this movie is power projection. He's so tough. He's so cool. So, Tom, do you have any rebuttal to that scene at all? Or you're happy with how you... No, everything everything my esteemed opponent said is true. And that's fucking awesome. I just want to add that this is dangerous because it's trying to convince people that homeopathy is real. So, (laughs) I'm not saying Tom supports homeopathy, but, you know, if the shoe fits. I will say that if anyone is dumb enough to watch what Steven Seagal does and think that's an effective way to treat muscle degeneration general coma restorative whatever uh they deserve everything bad that happens to them not nothing in this movie even at surface level is reasonable it's all bullshit and you know it's bullshit but you can't look away just regarding the the montage can you give me a rough idea of how long this montage would go for is steven seagal training uh going through physical therapy for years to gain back his strength his agility, his ability to fight. How, how long would you say this montage? It is anywhere from one day to five months. You have no idea about any amount of time that passes in this film. And I have to ask, is there sex in this montage? Oh, it fucking goes right <laughs> from the montage straight into the stupidest fucking sex scene where the woman... She's like walking outside and she just sees a flower. They're at their house, by the way. She sees a flower and she picks it and she walks in on Steven Seagal with like 80 acupuncture needles sticking out of him on fire. And she's like, I got this flower for you. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's not the flower. I'm just making this shit up, but that's not the flower I want. And then they just fuck for like five minutes straight. I got pretty- it's even dumber than that. He doesn't even say anything. Oh, yeah, he just she just like gives the flower. Is like thought you might want this flower, and he like <laughs> he just chucks, takes it, and he's just like he's like flexing while he does it. He's got this shitty expression on his face. Steven Seagal has no game. All, the most he could do is just take the flower and be like, okay, now it's time for us to fuck, and then they do. It's it's just insane. I'm sorry, but can we? And they put it. On <laughs> I film. really need to understand why these women characters are so drawn into Steven Seagal. I need you to paint me a picture because right now it almost sounds like it's Stockholm syndrome, where there was an incident at the hospital. She's terrified because these killers are coming in, and Steven Seagal helps her escape. But it doesn't sound like that anymore. I need. I mean, he's in a weakened state. He's kind of dependent on her, like. So it's like a puppy yeah, dog. Like you're taking care of a puppy dog. Right classic now. Stockholm, like, and let's call it for what is it? It is. It's rape. Like she is a rapist, and she's basically controlling Steven Seagal at this point. He has no choice in the matter, and so the flower is actually kind of like this, like twisted, like oh, here's some affection, and Steven Seagal's like, let's let's treat this for what it is. Throws the flower on the ground and just lets her have her way with with his apparently huge hog huge and that's the motivation here do you feel this is the way that steven seagal grieves because he just watched his (laughs) his family get murdered and his child get murdered and then he went right into a coma so i imagine he didn't have that moment of like 
clarity and he still has all those feelings built up and they've been growing for the past seven years. So once he gets out of this hospital, they're just exploding. I mean, yeah. I mean, he definitely reads newspapers that say like family slaughtered and then he goes to their grave, which is I don't know how you find out where their grave is. But this is all sitting there at the same time as the sex scene. Yeah, it it happens concurrently immediately after having sex. Uh, he gets upset about his dead family. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. that's how he processes grief. Okay. So there's After there's a bit sex. more a bit more to this character than they're actually maybe portraying. No, there's nothing. <laughs> there's nothing there. It it is all just how tough and cool can I look on film, and then they stretch that out for ninety minutes. All right. Do we have a final scene from the defense, Tom? I would like for us to discuss how this movie ends. So there's a bunch of shit with O'Malley and his son, and he he saves his son, and it's all, like, whatever. But the movie's not over yet because he hasn't finally gotten to the bad guy and killed all of the other bad guys. So he decides to go full psycho vigilante Punisher style, and he's like, there's just one more thing I have to do. And he ties his ponytail real tight and like runs off towards the governor's mansion because the governor is the guy who ordered the head and got his family killed. And then it's him just beating the shit out of people like violently. Like he, he's, he's so tough. He runs in a room with a gun and he goes, Oh, you think it's not fair. Going to have to put my pistol away. Someone hand me a pool cue. And then he like beats the shit out of dudes. Yeah, um, he's got this weird fucking thing where he'll like he constantly ha- has this ridiculously grandiose idea of how deadly he is and how it's, he wants to have a fair fight. So like earlier in the movie, there's this fucking robber who straight up murders this shop owner. And instead of like just immediately dealing with the situation, he's like, oh, this isn't a fair fight. Let me put my gun down. Oh, it's still not a fair fight. Let me get on my knees. Ah, still not a fair fight. Let me take my pants off and show you my anus. Ah. <laughs> and then and then he still wins. And he still wins, and he, it's so fucking ridiculous. And he does it again at the end. And he, he does well before before he gets to the end where he's got the shotgun in the dude's mouth and he's leading him around and and whatever else. I would like to talk about after he's murdered all of the goons. Yeah. Then he has time to run through the mansion and start leaving really weird cryptic messages in like <laughs> makeup and like lipstick on the walls. You're next. And uh <laughs> there's there's one goon that like he didn't kill in the room full of the other goons. And so he like Runs through the house and starts writing weird messages, one of which is being anticipation of death is worse than death itself, (laughs) and just hoped that the guy would see it. And amazingly, he does. He wrote, like, you're next in big letters on that. Uh, he, he, uh, the room full of corpses of dudes that he beat the shit out of are, are still there. You can imagine, uh, like, just he, he like, finds, like, one of the, the, the last boss guy, like, hey, did you see the messages I left? No. Oh. Why? What did they say? Uh, the the menace of death is w- worse than the, the reality of death. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Insightful. <laughs> so he, he he does that, and it's it's actually hilarious. Like it's it's the weirdest climax of a movie that you've ever seen. So he gets the he gets the senator, and he, he roughs him up a bit, and it shows like how tough he is compared to how of a spineless coward like everybody else is and, and whatever else. 
because he's he's Mason Storm. No one calls him Mason though. They all call him Storm. Uh, what a loser a has to name there. his character Mason Storm. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> And it, it ends with the SWAT team showing up because I guess somebody called the police because this like vigilante has been running around murdering people. And there is one scene prior to this where it's not like he's murdering people in back alleys and nobody sees. There is a ring of people surrounding him and he just like casually breaks a dude's neck in front of all of them. Nobody runs. Nobody screams. It's just like, oh, I guess Mason Storm just killed a bunch of dudes. Oh, there he goes. Goodbye. As he as he runs off. If you so the SWAT team if shows you up. read the Wikipedia like sp- summary of the plot, Steven Seagal breaking someone's neck kind of ends like three or four of the paragraphs. It's like da da da, and then he broke his neck. <laughs> yeah, caught him, and then he broke his neck, <laughs> and then he broke his neck. And it's a great move. It works every time. Each neck break is more satisfying than the last because that's what this movie about is basically just breaking necks. So he's uh, the, the SWAT team shows up and I'm going to get past the SWAT team point eventually. The SWAT team shows up and they say, drop the gun, whatever. And he's not going to do it because he wants to kill the guy, but it would be wrong to do it in front of police apparently. So he just doesn't. And then some random officer guy shows up and goes, give me the gun storm. We saw the tape. We know it's a lie. And then he lets the senator go and the senator goes to jail and all the police just disperse. They don't arrest him. They, they don't arrest this guy who's like not a police officer anymore. He's just some guy who sat in some doctor's house and like stuck himself full of needles. Went apeshit. Was he ever a police officer? He was a detective. He was detective okay. Mason Storm. I thought he was a journalist. No, no, he has – there's no job that he can't do. Like his skill set is very attuned into whatever the scene needs him to do right now. Like that bit when they have to infiltrate his old house and he has to pretend to be like a realtor or something. It was very unclear. Anyways, the point I'm trying to make is the movie just ends. He doesn't get into trouble. He doesn't have to answer for all the people that he's murdered, which like were police officers. Everyone's just like, oh, we were wrong about you, Mason Storm. You're the best. And then him and uh, his rapist nurse and his son uh, just kind of walk off into the sunset. Oh, yeah. By the way, his son, his son is still alive and his cop buddy raised him. <laughs> he just, just kind of goes, thanks. <laughs> He's like, yep, no problem. Here's my your oh, son. <laughs> his reaction is so fucked up, too, because he's just like, oh, yeah. Cool, you did a good job. <laughs> okay. I gotta I gotta <laughs> I gotta add one thing. So right in that scene when he I don't even know if it's a main bad guy, but it's like one of the maybe second tier goons. And he does his fucking whole like disarming himself where he's like, Oh, it's not very fair. So up to this point he'd had a few one liners like, I'm gonna take him to the blip bank. The blood bank. So I really expected a another one-liner here. So what happens is basically he takes the pool cue, snaps it, and just jams it into this guy's neck, which would be, like, a perfect time for, like, oh, looks like uh, I got a scratch or some stupid pool, like, one-liner. Nope, he just says, fuck you and die. That's for my (laughs) wife. (laughs) That's for my wife. Fuck you and die. And then kicks him in the face. (laughs) And, uh... Surprisingly, that's one of the better one-liners. That in the movie made me laugh because some of them, <laughs> ooh, they they do not land, and it's amazing. So, so I got a question: in all these like 
fight scenes, were you ever, like, was it was it tense at all? Or were you never worried that Stagall no. was ever going to lose? No, 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 no. no, it's, no. It's, even no, when he's no, being no, no, shotgunned no. point blank, he's still not in danger. No. <laughs> can, can we revisit one thing? Uh, just because, again, so I have not seen this movie, or it's been a while, and based on Tom's description, there's just some confusion, and I would like some clarity towards it. Uh, Dave already addressed the tension of the action scenes, so I'm assuming they're well choreographed. Steven Skull is flying around the wall, like the room, and being able to take on multiple people at the same time. Uh, but I want to direct it towards the senator. What's what's his role? I don't understand how he fits in and is a bad guy. He was the initial bad guy that Seagal was recording. He wasn't a senator at that point. He was just, I don't know, doing crime stuff. Yeah, so he's the one who kind of set all this in motion and the one who had his uh, Seagal's family killed, Mason Storm's family's killed. So he was in leagues with the Dirty Cops then? Like he was part of the Dirty Cops? Yeah. Would, he, would he be the leader? I don't know if he was a cop. Yeah, he was a leader. Okay. He's barely in the movie. It doesn't matter. Like you're you're focusing on the wrong thing. I'm just here. trying to understand. He's just a guy who did something bad. So Steven Seagal needs to jack himself up with needles and weird herbs, and get out there and kill him. It's what he has to do. So let's. I, I do. Adam, you have more? Yeah, I do have another question. Just like how Tom was mentioning, it just ends. Does Steven Seagal get any clarity? Is he redeemed? Does he feel redeemed that he's killed all these people that uh, murdered his family from the beginning? Is that? Is that something you see? Do you see growth with his character moving on after this climax? No. No, it just ends. It ends. He accomplished his goal. He murdered some people, apparently. That was L- Literally, the film just stops. He, he, he murders people, and then it's over. There's no lessons learned. There's no character arc. His character arc is he had a family. His family got killed. He had a training montage. He killed the killers. That that's his character arc. He's and he's replaced his wife. Oh yeah, with the raper. The raper. Yeah. yeah, but she's she's attractive, so it's okay. You know? <laughs> like that's that's as far as this movie goes with it. It's fine when attractive people do it. Let's move Did on his... to our closing statements. The defense, you want to begin? If you don't watch this movie, you are a dumb piece of shit. That's it. I rest my case. No, okay. This movie is not a good film. It was edited with a weed whacker. Characters do things that don't make any sense. The action isn't good. It's just like Steven Seagal like hurting stuntmen. And like stuntmen do get hurt on films, but like very rarely do lead actors intentionally like try to cripple the people that they're working with. The musical selection is both competent and disgusting at the same time it's this perfect blend of just pure shit that came together and somehow became more than the sum of its parts because any other movie would be boring it would be really dull on how poorly it's put together but on this one there's just a little bit of seagal magic in there which just elevates it just bumps it right up We'll never see another movie like this ever again. You'd need to see it. Dylan? Hard to Kill is the answer to a question that no one asked. And that answer is, yes, they deserve to die, and I hope he broke their necks. It, it, it is really about Steven Seagal, and I think that's very clear throughout the film. 
it's not so much a vanity project because he is trying to really solidify his place as one of the action heavyweights. But the way it shoehorns in this, I would say, pseudo-Asian identity makes for, like, the weirdest fucking film. As all these films are, they have to have these fucking weird heroes who are not in any way typical. And it's important that they're not typical, but at the same time, they try to give them, like, typical lifestyles. Like, oh, he's just got a family and a kid. But he's also, like, weirdly Asian or something and, like, has this whole background where he's clearly, like, trained in martial arts. So the reason you shouldn't watch this movie, though, is the the hits are few and far between. You have to wait a long time and get through a lot of shit before you get to those juicy moments. And if you don't like seeing someone stroke their, their own ego off in film, then this movie's definitely not for you. I rest my case. Adam, do you have any final questions for the two? Uh, I don't believe so. Um, I believe both of them presented cases, maybe not strong cases, but they definitely <laughs> presented something, so I'm going to leave it as so. Objection, Your Honor. Fuck this jury. <laughs> Too bad. Adam, do you have a decision? Are you going to watch it? Or are you going to pass? Yeah. Um, I don't believe Tom had a strong argument towards making it so bad it's good. If, if he could have pinned it on particular elements and really dived into those, I think I would have swayed a bit more because I do love cheesy, cheesy action movies. But I'm also conflicted with just the material of the movie itself. At one point in my notes, I just have rape guilt written down uh so <laughs> i don't i don't know if i'll watch it so i'm gonna say no to watching this movie i'm also probably not gonna watch it mainly due to have a there's only those few spots in the movies that dylan was talking about that it's actually worth watching and if it's like an hour and a half it's just complete shit i don't need to waste my time with that i'm not a steven seagal fan to begin with I don't need to see him stroking that ego of his at all. So I'm also probably not going to watch this movie. So that means I win? That means that movie is going to jail. <laughs> yeah, that's for my wife. Fuck you and die. <laughs> <laughs> this is a dark day for bad, good movies. Uh, and that settles the case of the 1990s hard to kill. It was not a good film. <laughs> it was well argued by both sides. Outro music. Do we want to do a segment where you talk about the Phantom if you happen oh, to yeah. uh, watch it? <laughs> I did. <laughs> okay. Uh, can I, should I do oh, it so in a separate? Uh, judge, do do an intro for that. Okay. So we can splice that in somewhere. All right. Tony, you want to introduce them? Uh, well, I can. So last week, uh, it came out that one of our jury members decided to watch the movie that we reviewed, that we debated, called The Phantom. Dylan, was it worth your time? Good God, no. Holy shit, that movie sucks. Unwatchable. And Billy Zane is definitely, there's like definitely a reason that Billy Zane career never really took off. Like... And I think this movie had something to do with it. So I felt really tricked throughout because it was not nearly as funny as you were letting on. 
Uh, no, the movie, like I, I tricked you. I tricked the shit out of you. That movie is not good. That is not a good film. Why do I have fond memories of it? I don't know why on earth I have any kind of good memories for that. Because you love bright colors, Dylan. Purple onesies. It must have been. (laughs) That's it. And the concept of the hero was probably kind of cool to me, like purple and he's got guns, which he like barely fucking uses, by the way. And he does do those stupid Xena kind of shoot the weapons, not the guy kind of things, which is just makes me want to puke. So, yeah, it was unwatchable. And what's crazy is the cast was pretty good, wasn't it? The cast was actually pretty decent. Yeah. So you can't even blame it on anything other than like the concept and the script and the everything yeah. else except for the like the actors did what they could and it, god that movie yep. was bad an interesting side note is that james cameron watched the phantom and that's how he picked billy zane for the titanic what really yeah like in an <laughs> ironic way or something or? i have no idea we'll have to call up james cameron and that was kind of his last gasp titanic like Zo- i don't know zoolander he was in Zoolander. He had a brief cameo appearance. Right. <laughs> he's he's done like a lot of really shitty movies. He hasn't done anything even close. He to was in the what, Boys. The Phantom. What's that? Was he? Oh, the show oh, good for him. Yeah. So he's still getting work. It didn't kill his career. It just put it on life support indefinitely. Yeah, but... So thanks, from, the Phantom. Yeah. From what I've heard about Billy Zane, is like he was always supposed to be like the next. Johnny Depp, the next Brad Pitt, like everyone thought like his career was like just about to be that. And like, yeah, like he just kept missing. Like he was supposed to be in like, uh, what's that fucking dancing movie with Patrick Swayze? Um, Dirty uh, Dancing. Dirty Dancing. He was supposed to be. Roadhouse. Wasn't he in, I think he was supposed to be in The Matrix or something. Like he was supposed to be in all these movies that would have been like, oh, Billy Zane. Whereas... I bet you you ask like anyone like under the age of thirty, they'd be like, "Who?" Poor Billy. Poor Billy. Poor Billy Zane. This was a shot. He didn't deserve it. Okay, and just real quick, name one character from that movie. <laughs> Fuck. No, I can't. I can't even name the fucking. <laughs> the, I can't even name the Phantom's name. <laughs> Kit Walker. Kit Walker. Kit Walker. Yeah. <laughs> what was the What was the villain's name? Do you remember Xander, Xander Drax? Because that's actually a pretty cool name. And I'm finding that like most of these action movies that we're reviewing have a character that has like a really cool name. So Mason Storm, that just sounds badass. Xander sounds Drax, like a porn star to me. <laughs> Xander Drax, though that that's a villain's name right there. It has too many X's in it. There's nothing cool about Mason Storm. <laughs> okay, that's it. We're done. <laughs> sure, sounds good. All right, and with that. The court is adjourned. Come back next time for a new trial with new litigants in the never-ending parade of schlock that is Grindhouse Courthouse. Motherfuckers.